This is the Jets-Centric Podcast, your home for Winnipeg Jets, talk, thoughts, and takes. Hey, Jets fans. Uh, we're back again. It's uh, your boy, AJ, here, and I'm chatting with uh, Winnipeg Free Press writer Randy Turner. Randy, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to uh, have a little chat with us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, I've been looking forward to this for sure, and I know that uh, somebody else, uh, probably more than a few people, will definitely be looking forward to this. So I'm going to start with a totally left ball field. Uh, what is your relationship with uh, Kyle Klatt, <laughs> the the man known as Sad Sack Jets fan? He is a big fan of yours. He's always spoke very highly of you. Have you ever met the guy? I know this is so random, but uh, I'm just uh, curious. It seems like a fun kind of connection that you guys have had online before, so I'm just curious uh, what the nature of that is. I, well, I've never met Kyle. No. Um, well, it took me a long time to figure out his name was Kyle. <laughs> I, you know, it's uh, – but it's just one of those things when you get on Twitter, there's you you get um, certain people you can identify with uh, faster than others. Yeah. And he was certainly one of them. I've never met him. I only see him when he comes to town coaching the Minnesota Wild. <laughs> or is it St. Louis Blues now? Uh... I keep getting confused. Mike Yo keeps getting fired. He's an he, awful ganger. Yeah, he's he's in St. Louis. Yeah, I believe uh, I believe Kyle Clad actually has uh, Mike Yo as his avatar. If I'm not mistaken, right now I I, I didn't check last uh, last time, but yes, that that is a good that's a good running joke for sure. And yeah, yeah, he's in St. Louis. <laughs> Go to the St. Louis Blues. That's good. Well, yeah, at least he's in the. But no, I haven't done it. But Twitter's funny that way. I mean, you know, I've been on it for now maybe five years, six years. Right. And I don't think people know. I don't I don't know how many percentage of people who actually know who or have ever met uh, or would walk by them in a grocery store or at a gas station and not know that that's the person that they they follow on Twitter. Right. Um, I guess I think there's a vast majority that there's a people it's, it's a weird thing that you after a while, you kind of think you you get to know people in an indirect way. Yeah. So I've always thought that's it's something that's um, it, it's a dichotomy of Twitter that you seem to think you know people more people, but you don't. Yeah. You don't really. But it, it's there's there's still people nonetheless that that uh, that you can kind of get. Uh, would you call Twitter friends? Yeah, you know what? Uh, yeah, those. Sorry, that's a, like a in- interesting thing just to talk about the whole Twitter thing. And we were actually going to do sort of a whole thing about this, and I think you'd be a great person to chat about now because, yeah, there, it's like this great connecting of people, like it's social media, right? That's uh, what what's called. And I think a lot of Jets fans interact uh, on on the medium, but uh, for you as a, a media person, do you find yourself? Uh, like people wanting to to meet you or that you uh, maybe even if people do want to meet you that you find yourself even 
maybe more closed because when you're out there in a much bigger way in presence than a, a lot of us typically would be because of obviously the media connection. So for me, I've met, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 people from Twitter and I remember their handles and their kids' names. Uh, I, I got a pretty good mind for that. Do you, have you met these people like on purpose, not just sort of uh, they recognize you in, in the grocery store or what's, what's that experience been like for you? I'm, I've never, you know, like I say, I've, I've, I've actually been places where I'll be Christmas shopping or something and look up and I'll go, that's so-and-so. <laughs> and, and, and I won't even say their name because I don't know their name. I'll just say, you know, because you just know them by their handle. Yeah, yeah. Somebody you couldn't even walk up and, you know, it, it would just be an awkward conversation. Right. But I guess maybe it's, it's because of my media background and oftentimes – you do stick in your little pack. Um, I, I, it's one of those things that I, when I see people out that on Twitter that are out, I don't know, having a few beers before a game. Um, I think that's cool. I think that's uh, that's then maybe not my thing, but you know, there's uh, there, there seems to me to be, be a lot of people that maybe five, six, seven years ago, never even met. Now, you know, do several different social things on the, um, you know, apart from Twitter, like real life actually meeting a human being, talking to them, sort of a thing. Whereas Twitter for me, a lot of times, it's been more of a one-way street uh, where I tweet out my bad little jokes and, (laughs) and that's kind of that. Yeah. Well, actually, this this podcast, all the guys uh, and people involved with it, I would say we're all people that just met on on Twitter and eventually in real life. Some of the people we haven't met in in real life just because maybe they live somewhere else, right? But uh, yeah, I'd say I'm not just kind of roughly going my head. Yeah, this this whole podcast was pretty much Twitter friends, right? So it's a kind yeah. of a, it's an e way. Like social media can be really good. You always hear a lot about the the bad stories of things that can happen, but can also just like sports really bring people together in a, in a neat way. So, yeah. Um, I was going to talk to you just about your Twitter account. Cause you mentioned your, your uh, goofy little jokes and stuff. Uh, were you ever like a comedy guy? Did you ever do like stand up? Is that, or is that just, you know, the Randy that comes out when he's on Twitter, he's good for 280 characters to kind of have a, a good little joke or is this part of who you are? Are you like a comedian by nature or like, I'm thinking, uh, what, what's the guy you used to write for the Miami Herald, uh, Barry, uh, Dave Barry, Dave Barry, yeah, like, was that you? Do you do you have some comedy books that I I didn't know about? Maybe I should have researched a bit more about this. But uh, curious about well, that. Well, I'm a smartass by nature. Okay. So I'd be the kid in the class that, you know, in in my grade eleven class, and where other kids, their maybe joy of learning was, you know. Uh, different facts and history, but I got the biggest kick out of making everybody laugh if I could. And if naturally the teachers didn't think that was uh, uh, probably the best way I could spend my time. Right. I, I find that Twitter is as close as you can get to being the smart ass in the back of the room. Right. In high school. Uh so that's kind of what I like. I, I guess I just, you know, 
uh, no, I'm not a comedian. I've never been a comedian. A lot of it is kind of dad jokes or, yeah. you know, the same joke told in several different ways. But uh, um, I just like it if I can make people laugh. It's, 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 I know it's a silly thing. Um, but if I can make somebody laugh or enjoy some little uh, anecdote or some hard alky thing to say, uh, then I'm good. Yeah. You know, then I'm happy because I think in Twitter, when I, it's like when I first started in Twitter, I was going to be, I, if you went back to my feed, I was probably a lot more of a, uh, a lot, maybe more of an edge, more right. critical, more likely to say if Ellers hasn't scored in 12 games that had come up to some sort of a, you know, drought joke or something like that. Right. But then I found out that over time that there's enough of those people on Twitter that, that complain or, um, you know, this is a crisis this week, or that's a crisis next week. And I just thought that maybe, I guess it's over time, um, just based on reaction, you get better reaction to to trying to um, lighten the mood as opposed to, you know, taking it just a bit too seriously, which we often do in sports. Right. And, and, and that's the background too. I had like from being a sports columnist, you know, you, you take that job very seriously. You gotta, whether it's the Bombers or, or then the Moose um, or the Jets before them, uh, you know, you've got to focus on even something that people might feel as um, banal, you know, right. like, that so and so isn't getting enough. Um, offensive zone time or they're not scoring enough five on five um, I, I think that there's there's certainly people on Twitter who are, are experts at that but that's where I go to you know get that sort of information which I do learn a lot from but uh, that's the thing about my Twitter feed there's no danger of learning anything <laughs> <laughs> That's, there's no that's there's good. no pretense. No, no pretense for that. <laughs> no danger of learning anything. That that is oh. that's a great line. Um you know, we we've had we had some uh some other media people on uh, uh this uh, this last week on the podcast and it was actually really fun to kind of hear their origin stories of how they got into it. I imagine yours is probably a little bit longer than uh, than uh, some of them because I think you're a little bit older. <laughs> but uh, I'm curious if you kind of give us a little bit of synopsis of of uh, seeing that you didn't have some uh, comedy route to uh be the the introduction to uh the Jets Twitter person that we know. So what is the, the media thing? How did, how did that come about? How did you get into to, to writing and uh, where you're at now? Oh, well, that's, it's, well, I guess, kind of simple. I was, I grew up in southwestern Manitoba in a small town called Boisevane. South about an hour south of Brandon. So we were kind of in, so that's, you know, in the mid to late 70s when I was in high school. And so you're kind of isolated out there in terms of 
different occupations you might see, you know, when you're going through high school and, you know, what you might do, you know, you're getting to that point about, well, you know, you're in grade 10, 11, 12, what am I going to do with my life? And I found that, uh, and just I would distinctly remember one day reading uh, Brandon's son. Uh, it was either Brandon's son, it was, it was probably both. Time melts together, but when I was reading accounts of the, whether it was the WHA Jets or the um, uh, Grand Weekings, it just dawned on me one day as I was reading this that some guy got paid to do this. <laughs> some guy got paid to go to a hockey game, watch the hockey game, write about the hockey game, ask some questions about the hockey game, and that was his day. Yeah. And I thought, you know, all things considered in, you know, my little small town where I lived because I was a big sports fan, played a lot of sports, I thought, could be, you know, you could you could actually make a living doing this, and so that's kind of when I first decided that. And plus, English I think was the only course I passed in high school, or you know, or got over sixty-five or something like that. I did even back then. I think I had a bit of a knack for for writing, so as low as that bar was, those were kind of like my my assets. So what I did is, long story short, I I got into Red River Community College at the Creative Communications program there. Uh, started out in weekly newspapers, and like a lot of us did back then, in Stonewall and Selkirk. And by the late '80s, I was at the Free Press, and I've been there ever since. Wow, that's that's cool. Like. Uh... That's really, I don't know, I really enjoy hearing these, these stories of how it came about because I know there's other people that may be looking at taking a similar path, but I, I'm always curious if the same path exists as it was before. And then uh, the other day I ran into um, Christian, uh, I can't remember how to say his last name, he's the, the lurking reporter at the Jets, uh, the uh, scrums. I, met, I ran into him at, uh, at IGF for some high school football. And uh, here's a young guy who's getting into it and, you know, he's out there hustling and, and, and doing stuff. Like you said, kind of following uh, these these teams somebody got to write for. And so, yeah, he got into it and, and is doing it. And I think it's just uh, neat to, to see that that still happens and also just hear about, you know, obviously someone like yourself whose uh, story goes that way. Now, talking about the, um, the the hockey thing, you said you played a bunch of sports. Were you a hockey guy always? Like you always wanted to cover hockey? You played hockey? Were you, you know, played some junior A or junior B or anything like that? No, I was my claim to fame was being uh, was being cut by a junior B team. That's about as far as I got up the uh, uh, the chain there. Right. But uh, no, like most, you know, I you know played senior hockey. Uh, you know, never, you know, never, you know, fourth line. I'd be the the brand antenna of you know the. My feet would be worth more than my hands, right. better than I could score. But uh, uh, but sports, whether it's football or hockey, uh, it just so happened to be I was reading those hockey stories at the time. But yeah, you know, just just to be able to, to realize that you could cover sports for a living. Uh, right. Of course, I had no idea what that meant. 
when I bought in because it never is easy or as glamorous or uh, as you might think it is. Like right. your idea, your idea of what these guys do. Um, like we, you know, our guys who cover the Jets, they may think that's a, just a fun job, and and there is aspects of it that are cool. Um, get to travel a bit, and if you enjoy airports and hotels and hockey rinks, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, because that's kind of the, all you ever see. Um, which is my way of saying it's it's not as glamorous of a lifestyle as uh, as people from the outside can can sometimes think it is. Right. And for for you when you were covering like the the moose before, did you find that um, it changed your fandom? I asked Sean Reynolds kind of a similar question, but when you're with a team all the time, you know the ins and outs. You see sort of things that, you know, not everything gets reported on, but so just the people dynamics and all that. Do you find at some point to sort of be when you're finally there and you're in it and you're in the room as much as possible that you don't, you're not as big of a fan of the team because now that you've seen sort of the way the sausage is made, that it's easier to just kind of be not as enthralled with it or, overwhelmed by meeting somebody that's you know well known or, or whatever it is you just it just sort of becomes a job a job that you enjoy but maybe uh takes away from from the fandom part of it and just kind of makes you that might have been the thing that got you in but it's not the thing that made you stay right yes no that's a good point Adrian, because like especially you get that you know i know a lot of people that go into um because remember what i you know i came from a journalist background I was in news before I was in sports, the free right. press. So you just don't take off your journalist hat. Like you just, um, like most kids, you might grow up idolizing the Bombers. Right. But the minute you get in there and you have bosses and accountability and everything you write is literally there in black and white. Scrutinized, yeah. Yeah, yeah you, you wouldn't last long. You wouldn't last long if you were just a cheerleading fan. Right. You, you, and you wouldn't last long amongst players. I don't think the players would respect that either. Right. So, but that's up to each individual because it sure does. Like once you do see how the sausage is made, because there's people that you get to know better within the organization behind, you know, what you see on the camera. Um, so there's players that you do. Um, uh, respect more or you'll notice that there's certain players that get interviewed maybe even more than they should that usually means that they're they're straight up guys who who answer the questions whether they win or lose right um, uh, that's why I think that uh, Wade Miller was the most interviewed um, special teams player in the history of the CFL <laughs> because he mostly a lot of the developed relationships with reporters. Right. And so, you know, and you just, there's people like that too that you can trust to go to if you hear different things um, elsewhere. There's certain players you have to have on a team where you can 
trust and uh, they can trust you. And go, you know, I heard so-and-so did this or this happened at practice away from from uh, uh, the, the, you know, the media hordes. And uh, it's a good way to have, you need those sort of tentacles inside of, uh, in, inside uh, of, an, of a, of a locker room to, right. I guess, get the, as close to the truth as you can. So with, say, saying that, I, this is what I want to try and find what the right answer is to take away from like people that are in media that have kind of been behind the scenes. As fans, what would something like being completely objective, not just sort of here's black and white, here's what happened, here's what the coach said, but what can we learn from that? Like, is it better for fans to just sort of be ignorant of that and just, just blindly passionate? Or is there something to be learned to make us better fans where maybe uh, when you're down on a player uh, that you maybe don't realize the people dynamics behind why a, a team would, you know, strongly connect with that player or, or want to show some loyalty where, you know, uh, in, as a fan, I would just say, just find your best 20 players. I'm, I'm, I'm simplifying, but uh, find your best 20 mm-hmm. players and, and play those players, right? Like, I don't really care if this person had a hard day or if this person, right? Like there's these things. So as fans, what what's something that somebody who's been behind the scenes, is there anything that, you could tell us that we could learn from that where maybe it would give us a better understanding of what happens. Cause sometimes I find fans that have no clue about this stuff at all. And have never asked a difficult question of a team. Um, they'll just eat everything up. Everything's, you know, fine. They'll, they'll, they'll never kind of notice a narrative change, nothing. Right. And then there's other people like you mentioned of just sort of being negative and, and harping on things, which I, I've been on both sides of that. Like, Personally, I'm not just saying what I've seen, but I've I, I've done both. Um, so I'm just curious, like, what is that middle ground? What's the best way to be a better fan, to support your team, yet at the same time ask good questions and uh, and look for real answers and maybe read between the lines with, with some of that? Is, is there a way to find that balance for people that have never got to see the sausage made? Well, not for fans because you're so far removed. Fans are so far removed from – the decision-making process, right. right? You're sitting in the sense, even the media now, it's changed since I, I haven't covered the Jets. Um, never did. I covered their return. I wrote a book about it. But uh, the, the NHL is somewhere where it's, to get access to certain players, it's not like the olden days when you could just walk into a, a locker room and there's players sitting around and, and you walk up to them and just start asking questions. And there's maybe still some of that, but a lot of it is mass produced. Like player comes out of the game is over. Media floods down to the locker room. Player A comes out, you know, player A, what did you think of the game? Player B comes out, same thing. Player C, <laughs> How did you feel about scoring the two goals and your power play um, improving? Um, then you go to the coach, right, for his his presser. That's kind of all the access, and I hear that from not just – I hear that across the board from supporters across the country when it comes to pro sports. Even they're becoming now removed with – since media has – Jets and those guys have their own websites, right? right? They write their own news now. 
same with the bombers. So it's, it's harder than even before to have relationships that you used to be able to have when it was more informal, right? right. So I guess what I'm trying to say is it's impossible for the fans to, you know, even ask, when you say ask the right questions, ask the right questions of who? Like the reporters ask questions and, and tough questions too, but you know, I don't know, maybe give me a specific example, EJ, because, AJ, because like I, I don't, um, this is a, is somebody who's been there, yeah. is somebody who's participated in those press conferences and those, in those scrums afterwards. Um, I can tell you that most people don't know in the tip of their little finger, you know, what's going on <laughs> in terms of not even just small or not even just day-to-day operations, but bigger picture operations. Because it's not because you're stupid. It's not because you're wrong. It's because they hold the information. Right. And that information is becoming harder and harder to get. So, um, like, if people wanted to know, you know, has it ever really came out why Marco Dano was let go? Right. Um, picked up on waivers, like, you know, that didn't really bring too much criticism because he, he wasn't playing anyway. But I just don't know what a fan would yeah, no, it's no more than it, it could have been something that happened in a training camp two years ago where somebody said something to somebody. Right. It's like that whole Michael Hutchinson thing, right? What happened? What dynamic happened there? Yeah. That no matter what he did, he was never going to get a sniff. Yeah. Like there was a total falling out there um, that happened. Yeah. But it never really came other than a couple of curt uh, quotes from him, it never really became something that was understood. No. Um, I think people were left to their own, you know, with their own conclusions. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's a great point. Like I, I, I know there's probably a, a myriad of kind of examples we can come up with where, yeah, the fans don't get the information. I was like somebody who likes to ask questions and kind of dig in everything like that. I feel like, okay, I got, maybe a couple more answers than a few people, but like you said, probably nothing compared to the whole dynamic. And then at the same time, for those of us who'd like to know or want to know or want some kind of deeper insight, eh, is it even like my right to have that, right? Just because it's a team that you like and you, you, you know, you pay for a ticket to go watch a game. You don't pay for a ticket or, you know, uh, subscribe to uh, TSN so that you get to know every single detail about the players, you know, where they live and what flights they're on and, uh, you know, where they're going to be hanging out and uh, who gets along with who, even though that's really fun kind of, or can be fun information to know. Most people, you know, that know that stuff don't do anything with it, which is normal and good. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's you, you, as it's your team, right? I think as a fan, you want to sort of involve yourself and be like, I want to know, I want to know, you know, like people, if they see a player out there, like, yeah, I saw you know, Andrew Kopp at Earl's or something. And it was like, oh, that's cool. Andrew Kopp goes to Earl's. And it's meaningless. It, do, it doesn't mean anything. Yet, in some way, it sort of it connects you to the team. And I, I guess, like you say, the message is controlled in a way that 
uh, is very much what they want you to to see and hear, which is fine. It's their product. It's their whatnot. But I think yeah. as fans, it leaves many fans wanting, right? Kind of like just just give me a little bit more. I mean, even like the big gala event that just happened, great fun, fundraiser. Um, you know, there's uh, I'm sure there's different sides to what people think of um, you know charitable organizations like the CBC wrote an article recently about uh, sports charities, but you know, they, they raised a bunch of funds and some people were directly affected positively from that. So that's, that's great. Yet at the same time, probably for $0, you could have all the players show up at MTS and have, you know, 5,000 people come with their kids, you know, in one hour slots to go skating at Bell MTS. And that would cost next to nothing. Right. So, so, and then you get that access, you get to touch that player, you get to shake their hand, you get a picture with them. Right. And you have more connections that seem more meaningful. And I think people would appreciate that more, but if people are so invested in the team, uh, many people don't even care. They just like the, the, the team can't make a misstep because they're a fan and, and it's not mm-hmm. my product. It's theirs and they're allowed to do with it what they want. But I guess for some of us, we just want, you know, just a little bit more, just a little more access, just a little more insight. But again, kind of, not fully to to your point it's not even our right to to get it no nope. right well, it's not i didn't say it wasn't that was you said that yeah no i, I just just said that they they control the, the whole dynamic of social media right yeah yeah allowed them to control their own media they they you know now um you 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 can be on twitter and you can see all the interviews posted by um the the bombers and the jets yeah. within what 15 20 30 minutes of of the game being over yeah um you know they 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 have their own like you say they have their own post game show and pre game show um they they just just the, the walls that go up that are just in this if you think this happens in the NHL just imagine what it's like in the NFL Right. And uh, places like that where there's websites, and this was years ago, the Green Bay Packers had like four people writing for their own website. You know, that would rival the amount of people writing, writing for the for the, uh, the local newspaper, right. I would imagine, uh, for any given, although they're, they're crazy about their, their football. But that's been the dynamic, dynamic that's changed. Um, over the last 10 years. And so they, and here's, here's an example. I've been trying to get, um, I've been trying to get the Jets to uh, do a feature on um, uh, Patrick Liney for over a year now, right? right. Biggest thing to hit town since Liney. Young kid, dynamic. Um, we know he likes video games, right? That's about all we know about him, right. as far as I know. Um, and hanging out with his kids. And maybe just like other 19 years old, he's not even that interesting because he hasn't lived his life yet. <laughs> but he's all obviously very um, honest. You know, he would give you – he doesn't deal in cliches. Right. Um, and I've been trying to get them to do like a serious – sit down, interview with him, talk to his family, you know, talk to friends. And I and I've got nowhere on that. Yeah. 
and it just and because in their opinion, this kid gets enough publicity as it is, and for whatever reason, he doesn't need certainly doesn't need it from the free press. Maybe if Sports Illustrated rolled in tomorrow and asked the Jets if uh, uh, Patrick Laine would be available for a lengthy uh, feature, they might just call him up in a heartbeat. Right. It's the uh, it's Sports Illustrated, but. I don't know if 10, 15 years ago you would have a problem trying to do a feature and it's on Lanny. So let's just agree that it would probably be more positive than negative overall. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I don't think think that 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 would happen. I think it would happen in a second. I don't think they would go, but I didn't, I don't think back in, Team Islani's time, they go, nah, you've talked to Team enough. <laughs> you know, you right. know, um, you know when he scored his 76 goals, it was a totally different time then. Yeah. Well, that's a uh, that's definitely an interesting uh, comparable, like to to how it was to how it is now, and I think, yeah, like I said, some of us. Uh, uh, feel that. And I, sorry, I wasn't trying to put words in your mouth before. I was just kind of continuing on the same topic that, uh, you know, some, it, it is noticeable. And I mean, even for us, like I can say, you know, I've contacted the Jets to say, can we just interview some players, not be part of like a big scrum or anything, but like five, 10 minutes after practice at, at the Iceplex, right? Someday that they're there, totally convenient, just somebody comes off to the side or even moves players and haven't got any kind of response back. And I'm not saying that they owe us a response or that they have to say yes, but it feels like wouldn't you want to kind of connect with the the community? So hopefully that changes. I mean, I'm going to harass them some more, so <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm sure you will too. So it, it, cause it's, it's fun. You like, again, uh, like you said, with the line, I it's going to be a positive article and I'm not looking to hit anybody with some gotcha questions or, or uh, tear them down, but just to, kind of see what the player is. I mean, I would love to sit down with a Joe Rogan-esque style podcast for three hours with Blake Wheeler and just talk about the the Gophers, right? And talk about the growing up in Minnesota and, and all that instead of, you know, some 15-minute piece, you know, in the, the, just in an intermission or not even, right? Uh, maybe an eight-minute piece, right? So anyhow, uh, you you'd mentioned your book there and I was going to talk about it. You know I was going to ask you about it. Uh, when the Jets came back, um, you wrote a book. We'll shift gears completely here. Um, you wrote the Back in the Bigs book and then followed, yeah. that, followed it up with the, the first season book. Now, I'm, you know, and I have both of them. They're sitting in front of me here. This was like a great coffee table thing. I remember I actually asked for it for Christmas. Um, so, and I'm sure uh, half of Winnipeg has uh, has at least the, the first one. Was your intention always, uh, just to start off here, was your intention to always write one for every season? Because like I said, I got the first season. Was there a second season one that I missed or uh, or was after no. that first season you felt like, okay, we, we did that. That's We're not going to keep running with that. And I'd like to kind of uh, we'll talk a bit more about the books after you answer that one, though. Uh, the, the the second one, the second one was just because the first one had to be done and in the printer's hands before the Jets even. I think it was just after the Jets had. Uh, this has to do with the logistics of book publishing, right? Um, and how stuff has to be done so far in advance. So they they took over the um, they took over the team. Uh, they got the team in what May first, 
on the first of May. Yeah, it was right at the and, beginning. And uh, I think it's when they had that press conference. And this book had to be done by the end of the summer. Right. And when we say book, it was nothing then. It was just a bunch. It was just empty pages and computers. <laughs> yeah. So you yeah, had to start. Um, and we want to. We we always knew that we had have to do way more about history, like how we got to this point. Then, you know, you couldn't even mention many players or put uh, any existing players like Brian Little or Dufflin or, or uh, uh, Dustin Bufflin or uh, Wheeler. Yeah. You couldn't even put them because what if they get traded between May and what if the new regime trades them? between May and uh, when the book came out, which was in October, right? Right. Because it had to be printed and, uh, and written and all of that stuff. Um, so uh, it was just, you just, I guess I get, began at the beginning. Uh, I portage in Maine with the, with the WHA coming back. Right. Now this the the project of doing the book like uh, it sounds like it was a bit of a stressful thing and uh, obviously I, I think you guys did an amazing job on it it was a great uh, retelling of the the history of the Jets uh, 1.0 and up to up to that point and from there it's the story hadn't written itself yet did did you enjoy sort of that time crunch was that like a, a seems like an awesome project to work on yet at the same time also feels like um, a very stressful time to to make something happen because you wanted to I, I'm sure do it right and, and give credit and credence to all the, the people along the way and, and, and just do it right. Yeah. Well, then the main thing was we could have just done it from somebody, the paper suggested doing it from the scraps from the paper, right? Just going through our old archives. Right. And I thought, no, 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 we can't do that. I mean, you know, we've got to talk to these people, you know, we've got to, you know, get their perspective on it, you know, come full circle, you know, yeah. So we made a conscious decision, which was a lot more work. So we made a conscious decision to do that because, uh, I, I, you know, since we weren't going to get the the um, much of the future, like what was ahead, we we so we had to um, tell as much of the story of the past that would give you an idea of what you know the Jets wanted to be or, or what they were hoping to be. Um, but yeah, I was, I was basically chained to my couch for two months, either interviewing people, like uh, just one after another, one after another, and then going through chapters essentially um, in chronological, chronological order. Um, one thing I did find out when you set out to, to do a book like that, and you're mapping it out, right? Chapter one to three will be the WHA. And chapter, you know, whatever will be, you know, the next the big bulk of it will be um, uh, uh, Jets 1.0. And remember, there were 16 years there where there was no team where there was just a moose. And I thought I would just do that moose um, in one chapter because it was the moose, right? 
It had no relation to the Jets. They were in the IHL. They were in the AHL. They were affiliated. They were unaffiliated. But it turned out to be that that was the most interesting part of the entire book is because without that experience with building up the moose from scratch, they would never be where they are today, without question. That's a very interesting way to look at it. I've never heard it said, said like that before. Well, they never have the infrastructure. Look at look at what they did. They developed, they got a team, they built an arena for yeah. that team, the arena that they went to Bettman in advance, showed them the, the um, specs, because everybody, I think, Shipman is too stupid to do something like that, but of course you get it. Right. Um, so they, they had their NHL rink, and then they just built up that new franchise, you know, got affiliated, you know, kind of slowly, patiently, quietly endeared themselves to the NHL. Um, and all the whatever rites of passage you're supposed to follow with them right. um, to the point where they had the infrastructure that was, um, what do you call that, a key key turn operation? Right. There's, yeah, no, there's key, no, yeah. no team. Like what team could you have moved in May from Atlanta to start an NHL season in September? <laughs> and yeah. Well, and even before that, right? You had to start before that. I mean, you had they drafted Shifley a few weeks later, right? Yeah. At the draft. So that's one thing that I guess I'm just I don't want to be too sidetracked, but that I, I gained a whole new appreciation for all the work that Craig Heisinger and Mark Shipman and Ludlow and all those guys did with with the Moose when. A lot of their people looked down their nose at the moose from the minute they showed up here, and because it was just because it wasn't the NHL, and you know that's unfortunate. But you can only be what you are. Yeah. But so you know they lost a bunch of money in the first few years, and like you say, they the rest is history, and there's no way that the Jets would be here. Without without the man to the moose. That's that's really cool. And it's really cool hearing you say that, right? The person that was involved with it that did all the interviews, that spent you know months of their their life and probably you know uh, an opus of a of a of a, a project here, and uh, be able to say that about that. That's that's really really neat to to hear. And I know a lot of people have really appreciated, obviously, what those uh, guys did bring the the team back. So yeah. Uh, you know what, Randy? I think uh, we're going to wrap up. I feel like we could, uh, uh, I can hit you with a whole bunch more questions and and uh, just talking about the book and like the Jets coming back. But we're almost at an hour now that we've been chatting, and uh, I got other things to do too today, and I know you do as well. Um, but you know what? Thank you so much for your time. Uh, just uh, on on that note, is there uh, anything, uh, any projects or anything else that you might uh, want to plug? Like I'm I'm talking about this, this book and stuff. Uh, I know that most of the stuff uh, you've done besides uh, com- the Jets coming back hasn't been Jets related, but uh, is there any other other stuff besides the first season and the back of the base that I definitely tell people to go by that that you might want to point people to that uh, would have your name on it besides your Twitter account? 
No. No, no. that's it. That's, that's it for my that's, book. Maybe maybe if they win something. Yeah. Well, they they should um, if they win, they should definitely give you that feature interview with Liney. That's all I know <laughs> for <laughs> for doing this book, for doing that project, and 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 giving that to the the city of Winnipeg. That's uh, really cool, Randy. Thank you so much for your time. This is a a lot of fun. I enjoy your your Twitter account and and the jokes and everything, and definitely appreciate you uh, taking the time and and doing uh, giving this gift to to all of us to to share sort of the history of the Jets. I think it'd be interesting if, uh, you know, maybe there's a 10 year one coming up uh, that maybe, maybe something that's going to retell the story of the, uh, what's happened since maybe, maybe, uh, uh, you know, put that on the back burner for a potential idea. Okay. I will. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Randy. Take care. You too. Okay. Bye-bye.